Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Let's all stand and worship the Lord together.
You may be seated. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we're so glad that you're here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out the Connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. It's easy to get distracted by our busy lives. We lose focus on what matters most and forget to spend time with our Creator and Savior. Let's reconnect with the Lord. We invite you and your family to join us Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. for our weekly prayer night. Gather with us as we take time to refocus our lives on God and refresh our spirits in His presence. Summer is full of sunshine and family fun. There's no better way to enjoy this season than to come to our family summer bash on Wednesday, August 16th at 6.30 p.m. There will be fun summer activities for all ages, including family games, water games, and crafts. A main course for dinner will be provided, but please bring a side dish or dessert to share. We hope you'll join in on the fun. And don't forget to bring your own chair or blanket to sit on. Hi, my name is Hiroko Wilson. I have been a member at LJCC for over 13 years and have been helping the Bannister Family House as part of the UCSD Faculty and Staff Christian Fellowship for the past two years. The Bannister Family House was started by Ralph Bannister when his wife and daughter were treated at UCSD hospital and he witnessed many families sleeping in the hallway and waiting rooms while their loved ones were going through complex medical procedures. Families are able to stay weeks or often months at one of two family houses here in San Diego, one in Hillcrest, one in La Jolla. On Sunday, August 20, we will be partnering with the La Jolla Family House by assembling and donating 50 to 60 welcome bags. Those welcome bags are given to guests at the time of check-in and each bag is filled with various items are useful for families who have to spend many days away from their homes in hospital rooms and waiting rooms. If you'd like to donate some of the items that will be included in the welcome bags, please bring a cup of noodle or granola bar or packet of a Kleenex tissue. Please come and help us support on Sunday, August 20, after service to help assemble these welcome bags. Well, good morning. We are in the middle of a series, a summer series. We're asking the question, well, what do uh, disciples of Jesus do while they're doing everything else? Uh, what, is it to, what does it mean to be, in our day and age, a disciple of Jesus? Well, there's a perfect example of it. Here's a perfect example of it. People worshiping God, people serving God. Uh, you can do it in all kinds of ways. 
uh, people filling their hearts and their minds with, with content that gives them a clear picture of who they are and, and, and who they are in the world. So in the summer, what we're looking at are different elements of that, uh, all the various components that make for a fully alive uh, disciple of Jesus. If you have been thinking that a disciple uh, is somebody who's just, that's just a very narrow religious category, we want you to think again. Uh, so today, literally, we're talking about having a mind for Christ. Having a mind for Christ. Now, before we get into it, just off the top of your head, off the top of your mind, the phrase having a mind for Christ, what does that conjure up for you? What does that, what, what kind of images or ideas come to your mind? I'm guessing, not to be judgmental, but just because I am a mind reader, um, it's a small view. It's a small view of you. It's a small view of what it means to be a disciple. Probably such a small view that it's a category that you don't uh, have access to. I do not qualify. Uh, when I, literally, if I think about, okay, somebody said, Steve, are you a disciple of Jesus? I'd have to think about it. Because I'd say, well, yeah, is this a trick question? Are you going to, you know, you can ask me to memorize, give you out of from my memory the whole Bible or something. But I have to say, well, yeah, I am. And let me put that in context for you. So that's what we're doing this summer. We're putting it in context. Anything that matters to you has to be understood in the context of who you are, who God is, and how you're living. And so that's what we're doing. And if you haven't been here with us, go back and, and watch some of the messages. Uh, and um, I think it'll maybe give you a whole new appreciation for who you are in Christ. So uh, let me ask you this question. <laughs> Would you like to have dinner with Jesus? Would you like to have dinner with Jesus? Now, I hope this doesn't feel like traffic school to you. Okay, what did I do this time? No, no, this is a good thing. This is a compliment. Uh, one day, our, our youngest daughter was in, at La Jolla Elementary, and maybe she's in fifth grade. She comes home, she said, Daddy, I'm so excited. I get to spend the day with the principal. And knowing Megan, I said, Megan, that, that's probably a high honor and a great compliment to you as a marvelous human being. But I'll have you know, I spent many days with the principal. <laughs> she goes, you did? I said, I, I'm not going to go into the details, but we knew each other very well. Uh, so spending a, a, a meal, a dinner with Jesus, would that be the longest meal of your life? Uh, I have a confession to make. Um, I like most everybody, um, initially. And um, one of the ways that I think about people sometimes uh, in unguarded moments is would I want to have a long meal with them? Maybe you're the same way. Can you think of people that you like to have a long meal with? Or, do you, or can you think of also people you like to have a very short snack with? <laughs> um, you know, uh, this is, I don't want to get into political stuff. I'm just saying I got this picture from somebody I know really well, and she was standing next to Donald Trump. My first thought, oh my gosh, I didn't know she was doing prison ministry. Um, that's, that's kind of where my mind went, you know, and, and I thought, I was going to say that to her, and I thought, no, it would completely offend her, and I thought, I wouldn't want to have a very long meal with her, because I'd be hearing all about stuff that just makes my eyes glaze over. Same thing, if she'd sent me a picture of her and Joe Biden, I would have felt the same way. I'd have thought, that would be the longest meal of my life. Maybe you have people like that. I, I want you to rethink that initial invitation to have dinner with Jesus. 
I, I can tell you it would be the most interesting dinner you've ever had. Because Jesus is the most interesting person in the world. He's the most interesting person the world has ever known because he's the most interested person in the world you've ever known. A dinner with Jesus would go by like that. How would you make small talk with Jesus? So, where were you born? Uh, you know, I know where you were born. I know all the details. Two chapters, Luke and Matthew cover it pretty well. So, what, have you been, uh, you, what would you say? What's it like to be Jesus? How did you get to be Jesus? Uh, one time, uh, <laughs> again, with the same daughter, with Megan, uh, we were in London, and we're in... <laughs> Uh, Westminster is, you know, where the government is, and we're down below looking at all, you know, the, the basement of Parliament and all the crazy stories that happen there. And in the middle of it, Megan turns, and she's about 10, to this guy, Lord Craythorn. and says, well, Lord Craythorn, how did you become Lord Craythorn?" And he was like, uh, well, uh, I, I was born that way. My father was Lord Craythorn, so I'm Lord Craythorn. And, you know, for a 10-year-old, it's like, oh, well, whatever. You know, that's not much. So if you said to Jesus, you know, uh, what was it like growing up? Do you, do you have any father issues? I mean, you couldn't have a normal conversation in many ways. But you, what you want to say is, uh, um, as you're the Lord, having done what you've done, what are you seeing? Um, I could go on like this forever, uh, I, and I, I would like to think that we could actually have a dinner with Jesus. I'd like to think you could spend a day with Jesus in the, in the normal way we think of spending a day with a friend. I think it'd be the most interesting thing. I know some people who just got from this world tour, eight months traveling around the whole world. Can you imagine doing a world tour with Jesus? Seeing the Mideast through Jesus' eyes? Seeing Northern Ireland through Jesus' eyes? Seeing the Ukraine and Russia through Jesus' eyes? Uh, Russia was a country uh, that got their language from missionaries coming from Greece. Can you imagine seeing your family through Jesus' eyes, you and your life through Jesus' eyes? Having a mind for Christ is simply knowing God and being known by God who makes you wise for living. After that dinner, you would say, not only have I just been with the smartest, wisest person I've ever met, I felt like the smartest, wisest I've ever felt. More categories of people. I hate to divide people into categories, but it is so convenient. There are those people from whom uh, you leave their presence and you think they were the smartest person I've ever been with. And that's really a neat and wonderful experience. The most powerful experience is when you leave them and say, I never felt more scintillating, more alive. I've never felt more on it. Uh, we laughed, we talked, it was so easy. I have never felt smarter. This is what happens as we develop a mind for Christ. We don't know everything, but we know the essential things that make everything else knowable. So the big first idea of the morning is having a mind for Christ, is knowing God, being known by God, and growing wise in life. It's a disciplined developmental process, right? That sounds clinical, <clears throat> but think about anything in life. It's a disciplined developmental process. When you're through learning, you're through. When you've been married 20 years, you're just getting warmed up. When you've been married 40 years, you're learning a little bit. Uh, when you've been doing whatever you do, just when you go to retire, for, for example, from what you've been doing, you think, I've never been at a higher place in my game. I'd like to keep doing it, but I realize it's time to transition out. This is the nature of anything that's very powerful in our lives. It's a disciplined developmental process of our intellect, 
morality, relationships, capacities. In the case of this relationship with the living God that gives us a mind for God, a mind for Christ, it's, it's the worldview, the way of seeing the world that God cultivates in us as we open our minds to him and as we explore his creation. This is meant for everybody. This is not some you know, uh, in, in incredible theological intellect uh, with massive amounts of degrees and credentials. It's for everybody. Everybody who starts thinking about God is a budding theologian. I love the way Paul says it to the Philippians. He writes in Philippians 4.8, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now you notice he didn't say in the Bible. Whatever is true in the Bible, whatever is noble in the Bible, whatever, he didn't qualify by saying in the Bible or at church or in your life group. He said, just generally, do this. Why? Because everything belongs to him. God uses everything in his creation to form us, to open our minds to who he is and who we are, to to see the possibilities of life. Uh, It's a worldview. The Germans have this long, fancy, like they do for everything, long, fancy word, uh, that if it got caught in your throat, you'd have to go to ER, you know? But it's the word Weltanschauung, Weltanschauung, a worldview a life-shaping view of the world. If you have the wrong worldview, you have the wrong view of you, right? You have a constrictive world. You have a, a world that's diminishing you. But God gives us a worldview that expands our insights and our understanding. We start to see everything really is when he shines his light on it. And so there's no place where he's not allowed. He gets full access to everywhere. All knowledge is under him. And he's a critique of what counts as real knowledge and not real knowledge. So he's, Paul speaking on behalf of God, says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Yeah, but what if I wander from my faith? No, no, you don't understand. As you think about such things, you will embrace your faith. All these pathways of thinking and using your mind lead you to God. Because none of them make sense but for God. You come back from an incredible dive somewhere on the island of Truck, let's say, out in the middle of nowhere, and you say, I had my mind blown with stuff I'd never even seen pictures of. What was your first response? Dear God, thank you for this. Right? The first astronaut seeing the Earth from space quoted scripture. It was a picture of God that he was having, an image of God, an imaginary, or not imaginary, imaginative moment of, whoa, Lord, this is your world. You see the power of this? Don't be afraid of of thinking of any of these things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. You will never lose your faith thinking about things like that. You'll only go deeper in your faith. And of course, the Bible is a way of of integrating all that and seeing it in, in the largest context possible. Are you with me so far? Having a mind for Christ is knowing God, being known by God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks into us as we're doing all this thinking about things. And we grow wise in life. I have met many knowledgeable people. I love it every once in a while when I meet a knowledgeable person who's also wise. Knowledge without wisdom, who cares? So what? It's like facts without a storyline. 
it's the storyline, it's the plot that makes life interesting. And the plot of this worldview that we get from the living God is all-encompassing and powerful. And so a dinner with him, a day with him, a world tour with him would be not enough. It would be like, oh, more? Can we do this again? And as we learn from God, he gives us a sanctified imagination. A sanctified imagination to see life in a larger context. A sanctified imagination views life's problems as possibilities for God's redemptive touch. Sanctified just means something that's been set aside for God, given to God. And we have to have imagination in life or we get stuck. Not an imaginary life, just you know, detached from reality. That's a fantasy world. There's medications for that. There's institutions that will support you as you work through the problems that come with that. Living in an imaginary world uh, is, is not a good thing. But an imaginative world uh, gives you a Pixar. <laughs> an imaginative world gives you incredibly wonderful things that you get to use in your daily life. A sanctified imagination says, you know, Lord, I see a big problem here, but I realize that this is where your redemptive touch can make a big difference. Somebody has said it's, you know, small God, big problems, big, big God, small problems. It's not talking ourselves out of what's real. A sanctified imagination says, Lord, in the midst of this otherwise impossible situation, what do you want to do? How do you want to meet me in the midst of this situation? What do you want me to learn in the midst of this situation? So a mind for Christ roots us in God's creative plans and purposes. We get, we get again, uh, to be witnesses and participants in God's plans and purposes. Why? Because he reveals them to us in his word. And he says, wherever you go, as you think about all those things that are right, true, good, lovely, understand the implications of you being in me, embracing these things. What would you do with them? What could happen in them? So it's how we road test reality. What I just said is a perfect paradigm for a scientist. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Think about it as a practicing, functioning uh, scientist. A sanctified imagination views life's problems as possibilities for God's redemptive touch. A mind for Christ roots us in God's creative plans and purposes. That's how we road test reality. Uh, I, I've only ever met one Nobel laureate. Uh, and it was a fantastic half-hour conversation, probably you know, literally one of the most interesting people that you can meet. Um, but his motivation was all about a prize. It was all about, and, and this, is, this isn't just me judging him, this is him talking about himself. This is what drove me, this is what pushed me. And his, his big challenge was, I wanted to make a significant discovery before Jonas Salk did. And so we ended, when he and his lab buddy mapped out the double helix, it was a ta-da, phenomenal moment. I get a Nobel Prize, I beat Jonas, Jonah. And the funny thing was, when I was talking to him, I was sitting at the Salk Institute, where he was the head, which meant he was working for Jonas Salk. I was thinking about that. You're thinking, I won't say it. Uh, I'm just thankful and lucky to be sitting here having a conversation with him. But I thought, you know, a roadmap to reality would take us to God. Would, would this fellow who is phenomenal and, and may he rest in peace, you know, was, that's as good it's gonna, as it was going to get for him. By his own admission, uh, there is no need for a God. 
I have everything I need. I have the corner office at the Sock Institute. I have a Nobel Prize. I will forever be famous for the double helix. And I thought, wow, that's like the preface to the rest of the book. And the sanctified imagination allows us not just to see prizes or products or profit, performance, go with all those words you think of. It's about understanding that I am known and can know the living God. And so Jesus came to restore that relationship that God created us for. He reigns and he will return. We're made in the image of God. We're redeemed by his love, his mercy, his grace, and his kindness. I love the way Paul writes to the Ephesians, uh, the, the most significant uh, economic and cultural center of its day in, in what you know, is modern-day Turkey. He says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Even when we yearned for something else, we were dead in our transgressions. We were, we were powerless to do anything about the fact that, we're, that sin and death defines us. And Paul says, it's by grace. God's grace is gift. You've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What? No, but I haven't really left home yet, you know? No, but that's, that's the imaginative, sanctified imagination is that God has raised us up to a whole new context. Even though as we live in this world, we're living in the context of God who reigns in glory, who will return in power. This is the larger context. It doesn't make us triumphalist and arrogant. Well, you know, I've been raised up with Christ. Rather, it's that I have hope. I can have peace. I can have a sense of patience in the midst of life's circumstances. I can be bold and courageous and take risks that I would have never otherwise taken. And so Paul says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And then he says this, it's God's work in us so that we can do God's work. This is what's funny about this passage. We haven't earned it. It's been given as a gift. God's work is a gift in us that we then get to work out of in practical ways in the course of this life. And so he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here, here's the, the big bombshell idea to me, and I hope for you. Therefore, the gospel reveals a new way of thinking about this world and our life in it. The gospel is not just a small story about an obscure village and a, and a, a unique birth and a, and a too early death. Very sad story. <laughs> the gospel is the most magnificent story we can imagine because it reveals a new way of thinking about this world and our life in it. We are learning to live as new creations in Christ, even when we don't feel like it or look like it. Going back to the question, if somebody said, Steve, well, are you a disciple of Jesus? I would say, yeah, I don't often look like it or feel like it, but yes, I am. How about you? No. Well, what's holding you back? I'm not good enough. Well, we're on the same page on that. I'm not good enough either. Thankfully, it's God's gift that is good enough. And so we're learning to live as new creations in Christ, even though we don't feel like it or act like it. And now we understand why disparities exist in the world. Why do bad things happen? What's, what's the solution to evil and sin? What's the hope of the world? Who's going to stand up for justice? We understand that disparity. 
because we now know what God is doing about them and we understand our part in his work. You see the powerful equipping that comes out from that? So having a mind for Christ is knowing God, being known by him. Um, becoming wise in life. Setting up to uh, uh, point two is this. God equips his people to thrive in this world on his terms. God is equipping us, provisioning us, funding us, setting us up, leading us out to thrive in this world on his terms, blessing us to be a blessing. Again, to the, to the Ephesians, Paul says it this way. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, fully developed, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You might not feel like much now, but you will be more than you can ever imagine in Christ. You are a beloved son, you are a beloved daughter in Christ. Nothing you do will add to that love or detract from that love. Everything you do or don't do will contribute to your experience of it for sure. It's God's will that you would become mature and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is your destiny. This is your birthright. This is God's plan for you. So Paul is describing an authentic, flourishing community possessing genuine social impact. When we're gathered together, filling those containers, those bags with all those products that you're going to bring and providing them for these people, it's a net blessing to us to get the privilege of doing that. And the people receiving it will say, that was an incredible blessing to me. The message from us won't be, we're awesome, you should appreciate it. The message is, God is awesome and what a joy and a privilege to get to participate in what he's doing in the world. And in a sense, you're inviting everybody who's a recipient to do likewise. This is the power of it. It's an ennobling thing, not a humiliating thing. So Paul tells us that every good thing in Christ is available to us. This social impact isn't a badge of honor that we wear. It's simply the goodness of Christ pouring out from us. Rivers of living waters, one way as Jesus said. And so we reclaim the goodness of Genesis 1. It's like we're saying, okay, this is what it was supposed to be, us contributing uh, to, the, to the, the benefit of creation. And so knowledge means knowing God's plan and understanding what it means and why it matters. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He wasn't, you know, dissing, slamming Gentiles. He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles together, now followers of Jesus. But what does he mean by the gentle mind, Gentile mindset? Gentile was just a, a word for non-Jew. Everybody who wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. So what was futile, futile about the Gentile thinking? Worshipping false gods of their own making, simply put. Worshipping gods of their own making. Whatever you give ultimate meaning to or purpose in your life to or your highest motivator, that's, that's the idol that you've created with your own hands. You might be driving it, living in it, or not. 
Just because you have a, 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 the car you like or the house you like or the job you like doesn't mean it's an idol. If you're doing everything in Christ, nothing. It, no, there's no idolatry there. But if the futility of your thinking is now I'll be happy, now I've got worth, now I've got security, uh, that's a fool's errand is what Paul's saying. It's seeking to be wise in our own eyes. It's being our own arbiter of what constitutes truth. Now here's, here's another big bombshell idea that, that hit me this week is that we can't change the way the world thinks, but we can change, we can change the way we think about the world. If you're going off to college and you're in a dorm room with, with people who don't believe in Christ, you could say, oh my gosh, i got to be really quiet. Uh, but really what you're going to be is a way for those folks to have access to information they might not have. Not as a know-it-all, not as, you know, I'm mugging you in Jesus' name every day we're roommates, but rather something is happening that gives you credibility to reflect a new way of thinking about the world. And not to say they have nothing to contribute to the relationship, it'll go both ways, but Think about the scientists in this room that goes to their lab in Christ. You might not talk much about Christ, but as you do your work, people are going to say, what's, what's with you? What, there's something about you. In the marketplace, in whatever field of endeavor you function, if this is your attitude, wow, that's powerful. You can't change the way the world thinks necessarily, but you can change the way you think about the world. And how do we think about the world? Everybody needs Jesus because everybody was made by Jesus. All things were created through him. All things are being redeemed through him. You get to say yes or no to him. No is a bleak future. Yes is life in all its fullness. That's, that's the power that is in each person's hands. Would it be great if you don't spend all your time trying to change the way the world thinks, but you simply think about the world differently? That's going to open up so many conversations and divine appointments for people to say, I just never thought that way. I've never met anybody who actually I liked to believe what you believe or that I respected the beliefs like you believe. So we all have a unique sphere of influence that allows us to bless people in Jesus' name. And having a mind for Christ leads us to develop a genuine interest in people and in their needs. Jesus is the most interesting person in the world. Why? He's the most interested person in the world. You can be the most interesting person. How? An upgrade, a makeover of your personality? No, just being you and being interested in people gives you access to people. Not some exploitive, manipulative way, but just in a general way to say, hey, I'm paying attention to see how you, what you need, what, what matters to you. Do you realize how rare that is these days? Of course you do. That anybody really cares about you? Everybody wants to market something to you, for sure. We live in a world of ad blockers. Why would you want to block an ad? All those people are trying to do is bless you. Uh-huh, of course they are. Yeah, sure they are. Um, wow. Paul says to the Philippians it this way, think like Jesus, having his mindset in common. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He's saying emulate Christ. Uh, this might be a shock to you, but I'm going to say it. Scandalous. Social media has become antisocial. It's competitive, it's comparative and toxic. Who do you trust? Who can you trust? Trust is earned by genuinely caring about people and learning to understand what they need, isn't it? Isn't that how trust is, is, is earned? 
It's simply authentically caring about people. Trust is violated by rejecting what is ready, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. There's no prohibition, no law against those things. Can you imagine if everybody you met on social media was that? It'd be awesome. But right now, everybody who's got a, 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 a kid at home is saying, oh my gosh, I don't trust social media. What it'll do to their self-perception, what it'll, what it'll do to warp their mind, or to cause them to get caught up in things that uh, they don't quite understand yet, and they're going to be really horrible for them. I, I suggest you read, if you haven't already, read How People Grow. How People Grow by, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Powerful, powerful book. Two psychologists uh, who are also theologians up in uh, Orange County, up in Newport Beach. How People Grow is a brilliant look at how we grow. And it might blow your mind to realize that maybe some of the ways we think we can grow uh, are inadequate. Because depending on how you use the Bible, you can use the Bible adequately or inadequately. You could use psychological insights adequately or inadequately. They do a brilliant job. We've had them come speak here, had John Townsend a number of times. Some of you who have heard him and read the book know it's fantastic. If you haven't read it in a while, just do a reread of how people grow. It'll open up all kinds of things in your thinking. Finally, this, having a mind for Christ is a sacramental way of life. That might be an odd way of describing life, but let me unpack that a little bit. Having a mind for Christ is a sacramental way of life encompassing our whole being. Sacrament simply means sacred. And when applied to a person, it means being consecrated. What is that all about? Well, being consecrated is seeing your life as a sacred gift from God, right? And so if you say, yeah, I see my life as a sacred gift from God. Not sacred as in irrelevant. I stick it over here and I pull it out on special occasions. But sacred as in it's from God himself. And because it's from God, it's durable and eternal. So seeing my life as a sacred gift from God means, wow, um, I have a mission, I guess. I get to serve God with my gifts. And so a consecrated life is sustained by receiving the sacrament of baptism and communion. What's the portal? What's the entryway? What's the sustainable practices in a sacramental life? Well, baptism and communion. Uh, in these sacraments, uh, the inward integrating spiritual presence of God is made clear to our senses. A sacrament, simply put, is a spiritual reality made clear to our senses. Water, a little wafer, a little bit of juice, you know, bread and wine. Very basic things. And so baptism and communion are our inclusion into God's covenant, God's holy community. And so baptized is a one-time sacrament with an eternal impact. Communion is a continual sacrament with an eternal impact. One baptism is enough. Communion is ongoing. Some people have communion every day in a worship community. Some people have it once a month. Uh, why is this so essential? Because it fulfills Israel's story and includes us in it. This is the, the message of these sacraments. Um, Everybody is called to be baptized in Jesus' name. Baptism is for everyone in Christ. And we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said that in Matthew 28. 
And so the meaning and practice of the sacraments uh, within the Christian church historically are diverse and often divisive. Well, how should you practice baptism? Uh, and so some people say, well, you have to be immersed. Um, you have to be, <laughs> I've, I've, there, are, there are small sects of Christians, gr- small groups of Christians, who adamantly say, but you've got to be immersed going forward into the water. Anybody who doesn't do that is a heretic. Others say, you can imagine, you have to be laid down backwards into the water or you are truly a pagan. Sprinkling, you got to be kidding me. Whose idea was that? You know. Uh, so, Holy Communion. First of all, people call it different things. From the same little passage that Paul quotes out of his letter to the Corinthians, summarizing communion, uh, we have come up with Eucharist, the Eucharist, Thanksgiving, the Lord's Supper, Kuriakon uh, Depnon, that's what that means, or uh, participation, Holy Communion, uh, the word koinonia, as if these are three different things. Paul uses these interchangeably in the passage. It's the Eucharist, it's the, it's the Lord's Supper, it's Holy Communion. But he does give us all a warning, and this is the warning. Whenever you eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, uh, you will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. What in the world is going on here? People would show up and have a communal meal. They'd bring all their food. It was like going to the Hollywood Bowl, and you're in your box ready for the show to start. You're having a picnic. You're drinking. People would come to these communion meals. They'd have a lavish feast. They'd be getting drunk, and other people would be hungry because they didn't have any food. Paul's saying, this is ridiculous. You're desecrating instead of consecrating. So when we come into Holy Communion... To come in with a proper attitude might be, we're in sorrow. Lord, my life is a mess. I've done everything you said not to do, and I'm here on your mercy. You're welcome. It could be you're coming in celebrating. Lord, my life couldn't be better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you're coming in with the attitude that, thank you for you. And I, I've come to honor and glorify you to receive what you alone could provide for me. So really, a baptism is for everybody. Communion is for everybody. Why in the Catholic Church will they not give you communion if you're not a Catholic? They're trying not to desecrate it. So give them credit for saying, we want to be sure people are doing this in a worthy manner. They've taken it to a point where you go, that's kind of offensive. But, you know, they're trying to work it out. So that's why it's divisive in the body of Christ. Practices, modes, standards. Is it okay to have communion with one fig newton and some crystal light? This is a theological conundrum, and if you're at, at, at 8,000 feet back in the middle of nowhere in the High Sierra, and you've been in a, in a perpetual Bible study with a bunch of other mountaineers, and you're finally at a place where you're, you're worshiping God together, and, and you say, let's have Holy Communion, and you realize, oh, we have nothing. I know, I've got a Fig Newton, we can divide it 12 ways, uh, and we have some crystal light. Can you honor and glorify God in that mode? Yes, you can. It's not any old thing we'll do. It's what do you have? Why do you think we sprinkle instead of dunk? It's what works. We've had junior high kids providing communion. Why do that? Well, because they're followers of Jesus presenting a holy meal. It works. Today we're going to celebrate Holy Communion and we're baptizing Sophie Rose Delcamp. Wherever she is, there she is. Sophie Rose will be up in a moment. And we're going to uh, commission uh, Emily Delcamp and Evan Wilson. I think, is Evan here yet? Is he here today? 
So uh, you'll hear more about that in a moment. But right now, I'm asking you to examine your heart, discern Christ in communion, simply by being present in His presence. Uh, come up uh, here, here, in the back, and receive Holy Communion. Jesus said it this way, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And He broke the bread. Unleavened bread. The communion meal comes out of the past. Jesus first did uh, at the last Passover with his disciples. He instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, and the Eucharist. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup, and having blessed it, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, we've come into your presence uh, to practice these sacraments, Holy Communion and Baptism, and even to practice uh, an ordination of sorts, a commissioning, Lord, we thank you and praise you uh, that we can live a sacramental life because uh, we see life as a sacred gift from you. Lord, we want to honor and glorify you in all we do. We do that through repentance and confession, through tears, through laughter, with joy, with regret. But Lord, all of it uh, is possible because you welcome us into your arms by your grace and love us unconditionally. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that incredible gift. And now we come to you in your presence, in your holy name. Amen. We'll receive Holy Communion, and then we're going to bring Sophie up to baptize her, and then we're going to do a commissioning.
There's a shadow coming As the sky goes black It's a stubborn rain On a Nebraska plain There's a farmer standing On a thirsty ground He holds his breath this is life or death It's only water It washes over me Like a single river stone It changes everything But has no power on its own It's only water There's a winding canyon Where a mountain stood Miles of earth and clay Carried far away But there's something holy cathedral walls It took a lot of years And a lot of tears It's only Sophie Rose Del Camp, would you uh, come on up? You can bring anybody you like with you. 
Sophie Rose Delkamp is 11 years old. Uh, she's going to be a sixth grader. Uh, I don't want to put her on the spot, but I think she's probably the smartest person in this room. She is one fun person to talk to. She already knows what car she wants when she goes to college. And she knows the second car she wants after she gets the first car. So she has thought a lot of things through. She's the youngest uh, of two siblings. And uh, so she's one of those kids who knows what uh, the time is in her life. And this is the time you want to be baptized. So let me ask you this. Do you... Um, Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. You trust in Him alone for salvation? Yes. And do you want to be His disciple, show His love, know His word, use your gift to serve others in His name? Yes. And so what brings you here to be baptized? Uh, I want to join Jesus' family and be a disciple of Him. Great. Okay, thank you. Well, baptism... Uh, means that we are proclaiming our belief in Christ. We're part of God's covenant. And we're part of this holy community. It means, uh, in a way that we can't quite understand, symbolically but also substantively, we're dying to us and being raised up with Christ. Uh, it's only water, but it changes everything. And this is what the power of God does uh, in a sacramental life. We understand, as never before, that life is a sacred gift. And in this baptism, we are united in Christ in a way that transforms us. And in Holy Communion, we are sustained in that ongoing, powerful presence of Jesus in us and around us, working in us and working through us. So, uh, thank you for the faithfulness uh, of you uh, and you, uh, Suzette and Scott and Emily, the world's greatest big sister, for all your support uh, for Sam and Mary uh, Del Camp, uh, fantastic grandparents who have supported uh, this family. Uh, and uh, as the patriarch, you have been faithful uh, in your ministry and your mission uh, to love them well. So here we are, uh, in this, invited into this intimate family moment, but we're the family of God, so that makes sense, right? I want to ask you, will you encourage this young woman and this family as they live into, as she lives into, uh, this commitment of baptism, and as she continues to grow in her faith? If so, say, we will. Okay, pretty good, huh? You got a team behind you. So Lord Jesus... Um, I baptize you, Sophie Rose Delkamp, child of God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this uh, young woman, that she has uh, grown up in a family that has honored you and taught her your ways. She's heard your word, she's read your word, she has... Uh, participated in your community. Uh, she sees her life in you. And apart from you, her life would not make sense to her. So, Lord, I pray that's true for each one of us here. We have likewise been baptized. who have uh, publicly called you Lord and Savior uh, as a confession, uh, as a declaration of your goodness and your grace. So we commit her to you. We thank you for your provision for her now. And as she continues to grow, uh, we 
we thank you for this holy moment that we get to be witnesses of and in. And so we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And uh, you're very brave to come up here and do this. I, I'm very, I, thank you for sharing your story with us. So you're going to sit down, and Emily's going to stay up here, and Evan's going to come up here, and Connie is going to come up here, because uh, Emily is going off to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and Evan is going to law school this fall. They've both been phenomenal members of our staff, Evan for the last year, uh, Emily for the last two, as interns in children's ministry. Uh, I wish I could tell you lots of stories, but Connie will take it from here. But I, I, I am just so grateful that we get to, and we do this often, when people are leaving to move somewhere, or they feel called to do some other kind of ministry, some mission, whatever, uh, life transitions, we love to be able to commission them. So if, they, if you're going through one, or you're thinking of going through one, come on up and we'll pray for you. Uh, and so we're going to do that, and I want Connie to give you a little bit of backstory on these two and interview them briefly <laughs> before we pray for them. Yeah, get ready, guys. Oh, kidding. Um, so we brought in the whole children's ministry group here so that they could witness this, both to see Sophie being baptized and now to be have Emily and Evan commissioned. They have been absolutely phenomenal while they've been with us, and we're so blessed to have them. And so um, I don't want them to leave. <laughs> yes. But you know how God works. Yeah. So um, Emily has been with us for two years, and she just comes in full of Jesus's joy. And she, she has this grateful talent of being very insightful. So she will come in, see what the need is, and this, I'm going there. So she works a lot with the younger kids, with the nursery. So she says, I'm going in the nursery, or I'm going over here. And I really enjoyed her time and just being flexible and seeing the need and just jumping right in. So thank you, Miss Emily, for all that you have done. So with Evan, Evan Wilson here, he has been with us for last year, and he has worked with the older kids. So Sundays with the older kids and with us with children's ministry, and then on Wednesday nights he's been with us on our youth group nights. And we have had some wild, epic times. A lot of Nerf gun bullets flying. <clears throat> Thank you, Evan. And a lot of water fights and things like that. But Evan has this ability, and he's going to make a great lawyer, because he will take the curriculum and read it and then take pieces from it. And then when he teaches the kids, he goes even deeper, even more meaningful sometimes than the curriculum even was offering. And so I'm very inspired with how he does that. So both Emily and Evan both shared their wisdom of God their knowledge, and their love of Jesus to these kids in their own unique way, in the only way that they and God can. And now we've got to let them go. So my question to you two, and I'm really excited for the adventure that they have with God, but my question is, what have you learned while you've been with us, and what are you going to take with you on your very exciting experiences? Hi, guys. Um... Honestly, these last few years have been amazing. The kids have taught me more than I think I've taught the kids. Um, just seeing them every Sunday, they're so uniquely themselves, and I've really learned, like, God takes everyone to their family just as you are. You don't need to change. Um, and so that's what I've learned, especially from the kids. And I've also learned, like, how important it is to have a Christ-centered community to fall back on, and this has always been the place for me. I've loved coming here, and I've just always felt welcomed. 
And I just know when I go away to college, I always have a family to fall back on. And I can't wait to see the kids. And they're all grown up. Um, see them when I'm back on breaks. And yeah. All right. Well, before I answer your question, I'd just like to thank Connie for bringing me into the fold here. Uh, Steve, I know you run the joint. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I knew Connie when I was doing like vacation Bible school when I was at this church when I was these kids' age. So, I mean, she talks about hard work and, you know, coming in and being insightful and going into the curriculum. Connie laid that foundation, I think, for the both of us. So, I think Connie is honestly the most deserving one in the room right now. So, you know, maybe a round of applause. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I'd say what I've learned is, uh, you know, the, the true value of, um, you know, the people who, who are there to guide us in times of transition. You know, I've had this opportunity to experience being that for these kids. You know, when I was their age, I had somebody like me standing where I am now. And being able to live that a little bit has been really insightful into what it's like to be that kind of guide. Mm. And very much in the same fashion, uh, these kids have been that guide for me as I've been in this position of transition, of inching into the next stage of my life. You know, there is, there is an unambiguous love and joy for life and for God that emanates from these kids. And uh, in a time of transition, that's really something that you can fall back on. It's been truly wonderful to have that anchor to experience weekly uh, as uh, over this past year. You know, um, I've had lots of anxieties and accumulating questions about the future, but I think uh, all of us can admit that these kids know better than anybody that, you know, God is good, that life is good, and that we have a lot to be thankful for uh, uh, despite difficulties. And I think I'm going to try to take some of that joy with me as I move on to the next steps. Well, what a joy to be able to commission you guys. Um, I mean, just a wonderful example of how God works in people's lives. So, you know, you guys, uh, it was 20 years ago that I did your wedding. I mean, it just seems like 22 years ago. You can't remember. You're asking your mother-in-law. <laughs> so I met you when you were an infant. And so seeing you raise uh, these kids to know Christ, uh, what, a, what a gift that is. Evan, uh, I met Evan in third grade. Uh, I met his dad, uh, my mom, you saw his mom up on the video today. I met his dad a, a couple years later. Evan had gone to an overnight, his first time spending the way, a night away from home, something that they'd done in children's ministry. And so he comes home saying, Dad, I want to go to church. I want to know more about Jesus. And I don't know what, his dad, what dad was thinking in his head, but he said, oh, sure, that's a very good idea. And so John hid. Have you ever seen John Wilson? He's, he looks like an NFL linebacker. And so I ran into him one day, uh, a couple years later, I said, hey, I'm Steve. He goes, I know. I've been avoiding you for two years. <laughs> like, How could you avoid me so big? He goes, I have my ways, you know. And so um, Evan was the way that his mom and dad came to know Christ. So God works in wonderful ways from, from the, the, par the parent side to the kid side. All of it is part of this wonderful gift to us. If God is speaking to you and you have been holding back, today maybe is the day you say, okay, Lord, I open my heart and my mind to you. I want to begin a relationship with you. Maybe you've known him growing up in a family where you heard about him or you went to camp as a kid and it's been a long time and you think, well, I'm kind of disqualified now. I, I... No, you're home. Come back and, and, and just simply recommit yourself to him today. 
if you're struggling in your faith and you feel like, wow, I, I hope they don't have the struggles I have, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the struggles we have where God shows us how powerful He is and how much we're loved. And so never disparage the struggles or discount them. Just see them as places where God wants to have a divine intervention in you. And maybe you're, everything is going perfectly in your life. Fantastic. Leverage that, knowing that it doesn't matter in season or out of season if it's good or if stocks are up, stocks are down. Uh, you are in Christ. And so Lord Jesus, we thank you for these families represented here today. We thank you for every person in this room going through some kind of transition, that they would see that you uh, are the hope uh, in their life for, for making those transitions. The ones that are scary and unwanted, the ones that are long uh, worked toward and sought after, in all that, Lord, we pray that we would look to you in these transitions. I thank you specifically uh, for Emily, and she goes off to Cal Poly. Uh, open uh, that whole world to her, and she meets new people and has wonderful experiences. I pray that she would be um, simply her in a way that would reflect you and perhaps uh, continue this great ministry, but now with her peers, just being her in you at Cal Poly. Uh, Lord, I thank you for Evan, uh, for uh, his time at UCLA and now his time at, at uh, USD Law School. Give him what he needs uh, to be able to not only enjoy the process, uh, but to integrate all that he's learned about you uh, in this pursuit of law and especially using it uh, to bring justice for people who don't have it. So we commit them to you, thanking you for the ministry they've had here and the ministry that they will continue to have. Even as we um, present ourselves to you, Lord, as we give ourselves to you as an offering this day, and in your high and holy name we pray, amen. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can even ask or imagine give you everything you need to walk in life now and forever with him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And thanks for being here in worship with us today. Mm -hmm.